0: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Breaking Changes podcast. I'm your host and chief evangelist for Postman, Kin Lane. With Breaking Changes, we explore topics from the world of APIs, but we look at things through the lens of business and engineering leadership. Joining me today, we have Jessica Elliott, Platform Associate Director of Product at HelloFresh. Jessica validated for me that having a platform team is a sign of an organization who's further along in their API journey, but she also left me thinking more about how product management and these platform teams will be engaging. I always start simple with the basics. Who are you and what do you do?
1: So uh, I'm Jessica Elliott. I am the product lead for the platform tribe at HelloFresh. So I started my career as an engineer in mobile software at a startup, and I at that time like it's a typical startup like the business people tell you to build something and you build it. And what happened so often is we show stuff to clients and it was just wrong, and <laughs> I was so frustrated with that, like putting all my energy in this. And I figured like, man, there must be a better way of doing software, and that's how I ended up in product management. And. Uh, I guess like it's maybe the little de- the developer background that always stuck with me like I like the idea of making the lives of developers easier and I'm really like excited I can do this like and like building a platform and building like common infrastructure to make sure that engineers can spend their time like worrying about actual customer problems as opposed to fiddling with terraform or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you just I I would say described really nicely the this kind of I don't want to say it's a platform, but it's kind of a bridge between business and t- IT and technical groups that I see product management's the number one conversation I'm having with, with enterprise organizations. They're like, how do we hire train the next wave of product managers? And a lot of that I hear is from the business side, like trying to, we, we, what you said in the beginning of that, we need it to reflect business needs, but you just also said which is really the important other part. I need to make developers' lives happy in doing this. So what is product management? Like, how do you define what product management is?
1: Uh, I I guess all of those things, product management sits at the intersection between like business and actual development and customers. But I I, I might be paraphrasing it the wrong way, but Marty Kagan has a really nice definition. It's like making sure that you're solving the right problems for your customers in a way that's both uh, acceptable or good for your company and like from a development perspective um, and I, I like that idea like it's there's never just one party involved there's always like different angles like you know maybe you can think of dream this amazing feature but it's technically infeasible or the business wants that but they actually don't uh it's not really reflects what the customers want so it's a i like it it's a it's a kind of a job with a foot in a lot of different areas Um, but yeah like you said it's bridging a lot of these things like how do you bring them together and end up with like the let's say the optimal thing at the end for everyone
0: but you feel like i mean it's an ongoing thing right i mean you got to have feedback loops with all of these stakeholders and it's there's no end to it i mean there's little part little ends you know sprints and whatnot but
1: Yeah, I guess I'm a person I like finishing things. And maybe that's sometimes frustrating. Like you said, it it, it never ends. Like there's no, uh, I'd say, gold star if you've reached it and now you can stop product management. But I guess that's what makes it fun as well. Like there's always more things to discover. Your, Your customers change, your products change, the technology changes. So you always have to like keep in touch with actually what your users need, what they want, like what's new tech developments that can enable new things. And I mean your business as well. It, I guess your business has its own goals in itself, and it's making sure that you keep on top of what's important for them as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is definitely the human, the human side of our our roles and 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 what we're building. I think a lot of people focus on the tech, uh, but a lot of this is is just about the people on the business and the technical side. But you also mentioned platform and. I'm really fascinated. I would say this is another common thread in all the conversations I ha- I'm having is this platformification of of our enterprise organization. So, what 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 is what is what does a platform group do? Like you you mentioned about making developers' lives easier, what what do you do to make it easier?
1: Yeah, so the the definition that we use internally is that we su- we support the engineering workflow, and we help developers to like create customer value faster. So it's thinking like, how do you, how, again, how do you get them to focus on the things that matter for customers or external customers, in our case, people who buy boxes, as opposed to fiddling with, I don't know, the craft related to infrastructure, setting up things. Um, and yeah, it's thinking about like, what's the common things that all developers have to do independent of what specific business domain they're focusing on and trying to centralize that. And I guess, for me, it's to like, just remove the, the pain of fiddling with that. I mean, I call it pain. It's, for me, it's a fun part. But I, I think that's what I found frustrating when I was still doing development as well. When you got this great idea of this thing that you want to do, and then you have to install 50 libraries and nothing runs, and you <laughs> end up fiddling more time with getting your environment set up than actually building the cool thing that you want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that enablement, I find, is is pretty key part of every goal. When I talk to business leadership, they're, uh, you know, they want governance, but actually enabling developers to do the right thing is, is a bigger part of governance than any of the actual details of governance. If, if, cause developers will do the right thing if they have the right scaffolding framework, everything around them. Uh, but if they don't, they're gonna probably be making lots of bad and poor decisions about what libraries and security and other things. But one of the, the things that I'm seeing with governance and, and, and platform enablement is there has to be proper team structure as far as stru- and not team and domains, kind of structure for the organization to operate in to, to kind of be able to coherently define what what the platform looks like. So what is what is the, the domains and team structure look like for, for what you guys are building?
1: So I guess it kind of depends on your company and what you define your platform. Like I've seen that the term platform is a lot of times very overloaded as well. Like in our sense, we consider a platform something that enables developers to write code faster. But I've seen other people use the word platform when they build uh, common business things like a payments platform is another thing. But in theory, a payments platform would still depend on a developer platform. So, in our case, when our focus is our customer is an engineer and their goal is to get software into production, uh, we kind of, we've been thinking about the squad structure and we've, like what does this engineering workflow look like? And what we set out is we try to define this workflow better like what are the actual like user journey steps involved? So, if you wanted to create software in production, you'd go through the process of discovering information, writing the code, testing it building it, deploying it, running it, looking at like operating it, getting observability and the incident management. So we kind of thought about this workflow and I mean, it would have been nice to say like we discovered this workflow and then we created our teams. But to be honest, it kind of went the other way around. We created some teams and they kind of worked because we thought like intuitively this makes sense. And then later we figured out the framework that kind of explained the intuition of uh, of how these teams were set up. Oh, yeah. So our squads actually like, focus on specific parts of this workflow. So one squad focuses on specific like, the coding and testing aspect. There's another one squad that focuses on uh, the release workflow. Uh, we've got a squad that focuses on the specific runtime environment, which is Kubernetes in our case, and one group that focuses on observability and incident management. And, uh, It it works for us, but I also like with a caveat, like I've been operating in this one platform environment and I think this might look slightly different depending on your, like your particular platform and your particular company.
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, across the API lifecycle for me, there's a lot of our customers ask us, well, just tell us the way to do it.
1: I, just give me the formula please
0: <laughs> yeah like the two things tell us how to do it and then when are we going to be done with apis it's like well you're never going to be done and okay, there's no one way and so teaching people how i guess teach people how to fish you know they have to be able to form their, their own teams and i guess that's it feels like that's what you did is is you you th- you had in mind how to organize it, but then once you did it it kind of validated itself and then you explain why and how it works. I think teams have mm-hmm. to just figure have have the confidence to do it and have the right skills but then make it fit to their organization and their culture and, 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 and their unique industry and how they operate. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh- I think what I particularly like about this framework and said, I haven't implemented it in a different org, but I think it can actually fit on a number of different sized platform orgs.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: if you have a larger platform, you can you can make your squad smaller to focus on more narrower bands of
0: this mm-hmm. engineering
1: workflow. If you're in a smaller team, then you can say like, Oh, we're, we have to take care of all of this, but then you use it as a way to prioritize, like which areas maybe I'll be focusing on in the sh- like short term or midterm. So I, my theory is that it would, it's, it's a nice, general framework but I guess I haven't validated it in the wild
0: yeah no interesting so how much of this topology is programmable I mean are you guys using terraform to stand things up and tear things down like
1: yeah I think we're try oh, mostly infrastructure is code based so we I we try to have like no rogue things running like everything should be reproducible um, mm-hmm. but Yeah, there's automation, I think plays a huge role in if you like working on platforms and trying to make workflows a bit smoother, I'm not sure which aspect to go into it, but I think automation is life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, making the technology do the things we can't do at scale or repeatable, as you said, is, is pretty critical. And even me as a human. I can't do the same thing in a repeatable way every day. Cause I wake up in a different mood some days. And so automation's essential, I think for, for this to work at scale with the number of resources or people we have available. So, yeah. uh, how do you measure, do you, do you measure like productivity across this? Do you adhere to any Dora metrics or any way of, of understanding what's working and what's not?
1: Yeah, so at least for we, we try to measure the Dora metrics for our organization. we're kind of playing around with the idea like are these Dora metrics a good like KPIs for uh for our platform? And the answer is both yes and no. On the one hand side, like the Dora metrics measure like how fast you can deliver things and at what quality. So in theory, that should be a good indicator if you're doing your platform well. However, it's a there's a lot more things that squads can do or the teams can do that are outside of platforms control so that you're not the sole driver of this metric. So I like to think of it like mobbing, like a squad can implement mobbing and that can make them, I don't know, it can make the PR process a lot shorter. Like then in theory, their deployment frequency could go up or the time to change, but uh, Mm -hmm. like we don't know that we're doing that. So just looking at that as our sole indicator of success is very difficult because there's a lot of other factors that can actually influence these metrics. So yeah, we've been kind of, uh, they're there and we're measuring them, but I'm trying to figure out like what are some more granular things that are more platform specific. Um, I'm not sure if I have an answer for that yet, but it's it's actively consuming my mental cycles at work at the moment.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're in the state that I see everyone. I haven't gotten a, a solid answer. Like, yes, here's how we're measuring it. It's try. people are measuring it. The ones that are further along in the journey are measuring and, and pulling the data, trying to make sense of it, but it's the tea leaf thing. You, well, you I don't know. This is, you know, making sense this quarter, but last quarter it didn't really. And it's just a lot goes into it.
1: Yeah. And it's a, I think it is I think naming things are hard, but measuring things are also hard. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that you can measure, but it's I guess also figuring out what are the right ones and uh, uh, other thing. Also, like if you if you torture any data long enough, it will tell you what you want to hear. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: you have to make sure that you pick the right things at the end of the day.
0: I think I'm gonna come up with a, a, a observe or a performance framework and call it torture, and like so you can come up with you know a way of playing with that because it's it's so true and you can you can make anything kind of speak to what you want to see and you really have to have an honest view of it and an honest conversation because i get my blinders on too where i'll i'll be reading the signals and reading the tea leaves i'm like yes i'm confident this makes sense and we've got it nailed and then someone comes in from a business unit and goes no no that's not actually meaning anything and i'm like well wait you know so I think we need to get out of our silos sometimes and it's got to be peer review or a group.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's a, I mean, it's kind of aside from the point, but I read an article recently and the person was writing about, uh, I'd say, peer product management, which I thought was a really nice thing. I think like we think about a lot of times like uh, peer programming, like in a developer community that there's you like working together on things. And I think the the when you be- get into like product management roles or other more leadership roles, it becomes more isolating the things that you're doing. And I'm yeah. trying to bring that more actively in my life, like do pair product management or pair something, like just go to someone in a similar role, like, hey, just help me think through this problem. Because like you said, you sometimes get so like stuck in your own specific like tunnel of what you're thinking about that, you know, just <laughs> a kind of a reality trick from someone else, usually just like it's so valuable.
0: Yeah, so I'm. I just hired uh, uh, someone for my team. She's helping. She's helping me w- define what is it, product management and c- all the, not for our platform what we're doing, but like, for for the the community in the space and helping us create workshops and curriculum because one of the top requests we're getting from our largest organizations is how do we train up the next generation of product managers to be api literate and understand all of this and they're asking well should it people come from technical backgrounds should they come from more business backgrounds but the pair product management kind of fits like you could almost seek out someone who's got more of a technical background or someone who has a more product background so what what's the ideal mix or journey i would i would say for that you think product managers should should follow
1: well I think product management is an interesting discipline because I think up, uh, I'd say, I know there are now university degrees that you can get, but I think up to recently, it was more like you come from somewhere else into product management. You don't, that's not a degree you go and study. So I find it interesting that there is such a diverse mix of backgrounds that bring a lot of people into this product management discipline. Uh, If I think about platform though, like I've recently hired a few product managers and it was a debate that I also had with, like, people in my team. Like, do you optimize for people who have more domain knowledge, but maybe less product skills, or um, like product skills can be more developed, or you do optimize for someone with more product skills, but maybe less domain knowledge? And to be honest, I think it's sometimes more difficult to learn product management skills than it is to learn about a domain, because I think if you're a good product manager, it's uh, you'll always be thrown into a situation where you're not familiar with the product so you kind of have to inherently have these skills to upskill yourself in what new product you're working on that being said i also know like there's it also depends on the maturity of your group like if you can if you prefer to hire more senior people or more junior people but i've i think previously in my career i thought like oh yes you you really need a technical background if you want to do product management well when engineering tools but I've kind of had to eat humble pie when I've been dealing with some of my other colleagues with no tech background, and they've, like, asked really, really insightful questions about the domain that are just, like, man, I'm. you, know, you don't need to have a tech background to ask the right questions. And um, I think yeah. Yeah, maybe that's, that's not that's not a one-size-fits-all answer, but that, for me, is, like, the takeaway. It's, a, it's less about your background and more about like, being able yeah. to ask the right questions, I guess, at the end of the day
0: agreed and and i'm constantly trying to i mean my whole my the last since 2010 my, part of my career has been trying to turn people on to the api world that's kind of beneath everything and and i find business stakeholders curious people ask the 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 best questions and the most obvious and it's back to me i get my blinders on technically as a classic white male de- developer engineer 30 years experience those blinders go on really easy. And I and I get locked into specific ways of thinking. And I'm very aware of that, from surrounding myself with other business stakeholders, and people go, well, wait, why? Why? Why are you doing that? So are you I mean, curiosity is like kind of one of the number one requirements of the job for me, like, is this something you've always been in your career? Like, were you like this back in school? And when you're younger? I
1: guess so. I mean, I I like figuring things out. So when you said curiosity, I'm like, yes, that was the right thing to say. Like that (laughs) curiosity is a really important aspect. Like you can have a really great person in a role, but if they're not curious about the products thing or about whatever they're working with, it it doesn't mean anything. But uh, I don't have any stories on hand of my childhood, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) it is (laughs)
1: cute. I I mean, I, I like creating things. It's a, I think what, what led me down to the road of like actually engineering and uh, software is like that thrill of like oh, I can create things, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's mm-hmm. amazing, and it's I mean I tend to do that uh, like I like baking as well. It's a similar kind of thrill of like taking stuff and making something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then um, yeah, I mean I think curiosity is is a it's an awesome skill to have. I'm not sure how you can go through this world without being curious about what's going on. It's a there's so much cool stuff.
0: (laughs) And it's, it's the thing that I interview for, I'm always looking for curiosity over it. I don't do coding tests. I don't, I just want to, I want evidence that someone's naturally curious before they're going to come into my team, because I've had people come into my team who just like, well, tell, tell me what to do. Tell me how to do this. And I'm like, no, no, like, here's the thing, like, be curious, poke, figure it out. And that's, just an essential skill as far as uh um being able to accomplish and figure out where you're going to be but back to cooking so do you cook do you cook from recipes you find online from your head from cookbooks like where do you get your recipes
1: i I, it depends on different phases of my life like uh, i guess before i had a kid it was mostly like finding stuff online and uh, really like like at some point where the like food blogging really exploded, it was probably about mm-hmm. ten years ago, and that was like a really cool time because like people posting stuff and it was like read blog posts, like kind of just making things based on like stuff you see other people making. Uh, but I mean, I'm a big believer in recipes for that matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, there's, a, <laughs> I, there's a reason someone wrote down the exact steps. You don't have to go figure it out from scratch. Uh, like, if you've ended up doing something multiple times, then you kind of get a get a feeling for where you can make the tweaks. But uh, I guess that's my number one frustration. I guess when people come like, oh it's so difficult to bake. And I'm like, there's a recipe. There's Go a recipe. There. <laughs> Someone with a lot of experience <laughs>
0: figured this out for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I, I, I did more of like, let's say, freestyle cooking. Then now, at the moment, I've got a two-year-old son. And the, what I'm really enjoying at the moment is that I can get a HelloFresh box. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I would have necessarily thought about buying it if I didn't work there. But man, it's <laughs> Just g- getting getting a box of like, these are three meals you can make this week. You don't mm-hmm. have to think about that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, just, I feel like it frees up my mind for thinking about actual things like that I want to be creative with.
0: Yeah, um, well, that yeah, box. Just... So like, I have to say it. So I spent 2010 through 2020 on the road and me and my wife, and then we settled down and... Uh, neither of us cooked. Neither of, we just ate out mm-hmm. all the time, and I didn't marry her because she cooked or did anything. But then she cracked out. She got started getting the boxes delivered, started having the 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 formula, and then she stopped getting it after like several months because she's like, all right, and she just like the training wheels were right. off. She started doing and cooking, and then now she's like, I mean, she's got like, she makes muffins, finds a recipe for a muffin, and then creates a spreadsheet of data and then like iterates on the muffin recipe until she dials it in exactly what she wants for her like running and what she does. And so I'm just always fascinated okay. by that overlap between cooking and recipes and, and tech. So that's why I ask. Mm.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I have I've really like technical writing as well. Like actually, I, I guess it's part of like, like documenting things well enables people mm-hmm. to, I don't know, use your things. And one of my favorite things is like, if you think about a user guide it's actually a recipe, like or a tutorial. But you want at the end of the day, someone wants to do something. You tell them like, oh, you're going to make this. I don't know. You can integrate this fabulous library, and then you'll have these features. Then you tell them the prerequisites, the ingredients, and then you just take them step by step, like do this, yeah. do that. I don't know, bake at two hundred degrees, and <laughs> and then you'll have this amazing thing. So it's it's literally a recipe that you're giving someone, and. Uh, so yeah. I also kind of like this overlap between like writing and, and recipes.
0: Agreed. And I, so I look at a lot of API portals and, and API documentation and my, my positioning is you can land on a website and read the marketing for an API. That's one layer. The next is the docs. And then the next is the actual design of the API and they're varying levels of truth or honesty. I find in that. And I find the, Increasingly, people are doing APIs, and it's kind of like the recipe sites. You come across the recipe sites now that where it's like, "Here's a big long story about story. how my grandma <laughs> did this thing," and then at the bottom, there's yeah. like, "Oh well, here's the recipe," you know. And they do the SEO, mm-hmm. and I feel like some people are doing that with technical writing and documentation now.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's a bit that much because I I that, I really like with what you're saying, like the different levels of honesty
0: mm-hmm.
1: in like the different kind of material you read. And uh, I guess that's at some point in my life, I thought like, oh, maybe I like writing, I like tech, maybe I should look at developer advocacy that has kind of drawn me to that role as well. Like there's more honesty in the, in my opinion, like the things that are being said, like it's a, it's someone that's actually out there to to help people in what they're doing as opposed to trying to you know, yeah. throw some marketing fluff at you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that, the, that grades of honesty between the marketing material, the docs, and the design of the API, or lack of honesty sometimes, um, or connectivity, because this is the API product management is your API and your, your docs are moving forward with each version. So depending on how, how, connect, how, how that feedback loop is actually a meaningful relationship between the producer and consumer, is it is also in there in the docs? so each version of the docs in in the design of the api if you're if a producer is listening to the consumer and and incorporating that into the design and then thoughtfully creating docs um there's just this natural this smooth relationship between producer and consumer but the ones without product managers in there i see are very there's no relationship between the producer and consumer. The feedback loop is is non-existent or sparse. And so the the design, the tech writing is just really poor. So product management's the heart of it, as I see it.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess that's a part that I like about as well. I think in one of my previous jobs, um, I thought about like, I work with APIs. And at the point, I was like, man, I, I love designing the interfaces, but I really don't want to write the code behind it. I thought <laughs> so like, oh... There's no job like this. Like, uh, I guess I'll just have to do product management and other things. But like I said, it's exactly that thing. You have to put yourself in the shoes of the person that actually Mm -hmm. wants to consume this and go like, how would they experience this? Like, what would they think if they read this? If they had none of my context, um, what are the feelings that they would get? And one of the things that I frequently tell people when writing documentation, it's like remove the words simply from any of your documentation. Mm. Because when you write it, as a person who knows it, it's like, oh, it's easy, simply. Like, the person who reads it, they go, like, they read simply. And when they can't actually do it, it's like this cognitive dissonance. like, Oh, should I have done this? Am I actually stupid now? Yeah. That I cannot simply do this? And it's, yeah, it's like, like it's that empathy thing, like putting yourself in, yourself in the shoes of the people who use it. And,
0: yeah. Yes. The empathy is the important piece. And and so, like, I my career trajectory is... The 1990s I was a database guy. About 2000 I started ba- building the backends database driven web applications distributed and then I saw APIs kind of poking holes in, in this classic databases were always that classic power structure within enterprise organizations and APIs kind of started poking holes in that and I started getting access to feedback loops with consumers and and I love being out on the front end. And I got really sick of owning production uh, and being a back-end developer. So I became a chief evangelist or evangelist advocate. So I'm very much uh, on that road that you talked about.
1: Yeah. I mean, but that's, I guess, the curiosity aspect. Like, building something is cool, but don't you want to know how people actually yeah, use this? Yeah. Like, like, why are they actually, well, why do they want this?
0: Yeah. Or why do they not want it? You know? Well, why
1: do they not want it if you're doing a bad job? <laughs> yeah,
0: I want to know that, yeah. but I don't think everyone's equipped to want to know that. Like some people are like, "No, I'm a really good programmer. This is great. Of course, everyone's going to want it." Yeah,
1: and <laughs> yeah. I guess that's why we're all different people. Like we have different things that actually tickle us mm-hmm. in our day to day. So I know you get probably like the people who like starting things or people who like finishing things, and like is it the same? Like people who like building the technically like they want to go deep into the actual way you create it. And there's people who are more curious about how it's used.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now so the evolution of kind of API is kind of one of the areas I, I focus on the most is how it's kind of changed our lives from ride sharing and Uber to f- grocery delivery to restaurant, you know, restaurant delivery, and then being able to cook at home and and what y'all offer as far as you know making it easy so i mean is this why you work where you work or what 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 keeps you coming to work every day and and kind of driving what you're doing is it helping people cook at home
1: i I, well the thing is i'm i feel like i'm very lucky that i can work at a place at a company that, that provides food products i love food i love eating i like cooking so i'd really like the actual end product that we create I find very intriguing at the same time I can work on creating developer products which is like oh cool that's great I can start up to date with what tech and what's happening I can do both of this or they're both combined into one company and uh, I guess what I really like also about HelloFresh is I feel like I've worked at previous companies where like there's a goal and there's a product but like it doesn't really help people and what I find particularly inspiring it's on Superland but like like my company actually tries to make the world better. Like if you think about uh, like the carbon emissions of getting your food to a grocery store, the amount of wastage involved, like there's so much of that cut down with creating a box and delivering it to your house. Like I think, I think first carbon neutral meal kit company or something, and I find that really cool. Like I'm, I'm not working on that side of the business where I actually work with the food things, but it's it's nice. I can work at a company that actually has these kind of global level impact, and um, and I can still tinker around with their stuff. So it's
0: yeah. That's I I've been dealing with turnover on different teams that I manage and I've talked to had an interview with um one of the interviews I did was with Twilio a, a VP that worked at Twilio and he talked about the turnover after COVID and there's a lot of people who are feeling just uh, you know, they're it the mass resignation, they're just not happy in their jobs. And, and I think in tech, I think a lot of people got into tech, because you're going to make a lot of money, I guess, and then the money doesn't satisfy mm-hmm. you. And the tech doesn't love you and nurture, nourish your world. <laughs> and so it just sounds like that. I mean, do you, has this really helped with your mental health during COVID, like having a job and, and what you care about? Yeah, I
1: guess so. I mean, to be honest, uh, my Kid was born like right after lockdown mm-hmm. here, so the first year of COVID, I wasn't even working at home. I was just playing, like playing doll with a with a little newborn. But uh, I don't know. I I guess that also kind of brings it into perspective. Like it's a like you actually work for a company that does something for the world. And I think when you when you actually would get to the point where you want to decide to have children, that is also one of the things that kind of runs through your head. Like, what is the like is it the responsible thing to have a kid like with Climate and people and everything.
0: Yeah.
1: And I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's a pretty selfish issue if you want a kid or not. Like you're not going to save the world, one way or the other, by having a child or not. But it's nice for me at the end of the day that now I like, I am working at a company that that has some ecological impact or some positive ecological impact, as opposed to um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I any example I give is just going to be be rubbish. But but yeah it's a nice aspect you can feel like there's there's some meaning in your work that you're doing yeah
0: i think it uh but i think having kids is another another meaningful part so you got to bounce load balance across these things having a family having the meaningful things but also a work that that matters i the first year of covid i shipped my daughter off to Seoul, South Korea. She's doing university. and She's actually just coming back next Mm -hmm. week. I haven't seen her since. And so I spent it the first year just stressed out that my daughter's in another country and like it was, it was rough, but she did well. She's good.
1: Must have been insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Is it the first time you're seeing her since like the beginning of COVID? Yeah.
0: I haven't seen her. It's amazing. And it's her her first time out of country, out of home everything and so with covid on top of it so i'm i mean she's a woman now and she's like i mean she does you know amazing things that just kind of blow my mind she's not the little girl that she used to be so it's a whole different world so
1: Uh, yeah i I kind of find it interesting like when you when you have a kid like you go from being a very independent person and then suddenly like 24 hours of your day is dedicated to keeping this thing alive and it feels to me like the just the exercise of actually being a parent is just learning to let go from that point. Like we have to like tightly keep hold of this little thing to keep them alive. And then learning how to let just go. let go progressively. Yes. Yeah. And which is a very cruel kind of trick of nature. It is. I think. But it's... And it
0: keeps getting weirder. Just wait, just wait. As your little boy. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm not even that far into this journey. But
0: like... With little boys too. It's a whole other game. It's, it's Yeah. And with my daughter, it was just, as a father, it was just really hard to let her out in the world right now. It it was it, but breathe.
1: As if the world isn't a scary enough place. I I know.
0: (laughs) Like right during like all the Me Too movement, like everything, I'm like, all right, daughter, go out into the world, COVID, Me Too, like, yes, you know, it's like, but it's worked out well. She's, she's coming back. She's going to finish her senior year here uh, on the West Coast of the U.S. And uh, so- it's good. i um, staring back. Um, what? Uh, no, that's good. I love these little side side journeys. Um, what? What? Uh, what's new and interesting trends? What what's innovation look like at HelloFresh? Like, what are you what are you looking to do that would push the boundaries that that you're not normally doing? All right,
1: I'm not sure. I going not answer that. I I guess for me, like I've I've been with a platform team in HelloFresh for a long time and more than four years, and like being on this journey of uh, taking it from like a loose connection of developers doing things and building this into a proper product-led, let's say platform organization. It's that's kind of what's occupying my mind at the moment, and I. it's interesting i think probably two years ago i would have told you like we're a really product led group and as i learned more i'm like maybe there are some more things we can do like there's some better ways so i i feel like i know in the platform space and i think about product managers like uh, thinking about developer products internally i think that's a big thing that we're focusing on at the moment like how can we make a really strong product-led organization for internal developer tools, which i think is a really cool thing yeah Um, yeah so yeah, tech wise, I think there's. I mean, as tech changes, I'm not sure like I can I can wow you with anything technically interesting. There's a there's this blog post um, I can't remember who wrote it originally, but it's about like, like build boring tech or something. And Kamal Furnier wrote like a follow up post about it, like in platform teams, like you actually have to think about boring tech a lot because uh, you're kind of at the front line of what happens in tech so you spend a lot of innovation tokens in the company but it means your responsibility is to make it at least use boring tech don't overload like the cognitive load of the rest of your org with like bleeding edge things like give them give them interesting things but like well thought out interesting things yeah and uh yeah yeah
0: that's (laughs) so so uh, again back to the honesty and pragmatism like we tech I mean, that was more people-oriented, what you just talked about, and products and, and customers being customer first and all of that. So does all that in, involve dealing with legacy? I mean, when you talk about boring, mundane work, I mean, moving forward your legacy infrastructure along the way?
1: Yeah, there's a, I mean, I guess the, as a company at fresh we we scaled very fast in the beginning. And I think the the company was very successful because we moved fast in tech and with it brings some sort of a lot of legacy things. Um, so I guess there, there's always kinds of these things about like about dismantling our monolith, um, some other things. And what's interesting, I think when we started with Kubernetes, we were also kind of moving fast at that point. So I recently just had a conversation with the squad that's kind of maintaining Kubernetes. And when we moved fast, it was great. We got people. Like we migrated the whole company to Kubernetes in about six to nine months. But now we're dealing with like, what is the next scaling challenge? Like we've kind of got this single cluster set up, and like in the future, like this will this will probably hold for like X amount of time. But if we want to go to the next step, like there's there's a lot of refactoring and dealing with technical debt. We incurred ourselves to to kind of get us to the next level. Yeah. So yeah, it's not sexy work, but it's a, it's kind of going back with previous decisions that were made to optimize for speed, and now kind of relook at them and like, how can we optimize now for sustainability or scalability yeah.
0: of our platform? Yeah. No, I think you're you're right in alignment with some of the other people leading in the conversation across the spaces, and and. F- Federating regions uh, globally, edge kind of scalability, being closer to the customer, that kind of thing, performance, a lot of that stuff. It seems yeah. to be the next. Um,
1: yeah, and it's interesting. And I think like that we didn't make the design decisions maybe initially with that in mind, but it's just becoming so apparent. Like there's a, like if if we don't solve this problem, we're I don't know we're gonna shoot our future cells in the foot. Yeah
0: yeah lots lots to learn there i mean i think you guys are you know right in alignment with the other i would say api economy as i would call them game-changing ones that have you know i, I had a conversation with 7-eleven so the, uh, the the convenience store chain and how they went yeah. api first to deliver alcohol and respond to COVID, you know getting alcohol into everyone's house and do that globally but oh, wow. do that with regulation too because there's alcohol regulation in different places how do you scale that not just technically but scale that business and legally i think is a is an interesting conversation so
1: that's super interesting yeah and i think about it like a lot of times you want to solve every problem with tech but more often it's not a tech problem it's a people problem
0: yeah well i i have a venn diagram that i created in 2012 because i worked in the obama administration and i did apis for for the federal u.s government and i see it as tech business and politics as a venn diagram and because your api can be perfectly designed but if it doesn't have a business model you're you're in trouble or if you haven't gotten the right licensing or you there's other legal or regulatory you know you're you're in trouble so it's that kind of relationship between those areas
1: yeah man like like straddling a foot in each of them makes you successful yeah
0: well i like I liked your view of the landscape because it was very people centric product centric customer centric you talked more about that than you you know when we talked a little bit of Kubernetes here but that's really I think what this show is about because this is really trying to reach leadership we're not trying to get to the nitty gritty details so I really like your your view of the space I think it's healthy and pragmatic and I appreciate you coming by today and sharing it with us was I enjoyed this
1: it's a pleasure. Yeah, well, I think, I I guess pragmatic is kind of the highest compliment you can pay me. So I appreciate that oh, as well.
0: I I, I can see it because I see a lot of people who are technically very geeky, geek out on this. And, and I'm like, well, wait, you know, there's, this is a world, we're human. And your tech's going to collide with that human reality. And, and I don't care how perfect it is. So you got to kind of tone it down, be a little mm-hmm. more pragmatic.
1: Yeah, exactly. I okay. know. Oh, yeah, it was a nice conversation. Thank you also for inviting me. It was we delved into areas I didn't expect to on an API-related podcast, but it was fun.
0: <laughs> That's what this is all about. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again to Jessica for stopping by. For more on Jessica, you can find her on LinkedIn and you can learn more about HelloFresh at HelloFresh.com. You can subscribe to the Breaking Changes podcast at postman.com slash events slash breaking dash changes. I'm your host, Kin Lane. And until next time, cheers.